My name is Keith. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Happy to be filling in uh, for Matt uh, this week. As uh, Betsy said, Matt is uh, over in Kenya doing some awesome things, and I'm sure he's going to tell you all about it uh, next week when he comes back. I asked Matt, I said, Matt, hey, can you send me a picture uh, just so I can show people kind of what you're up to? And uh, he sent me this picture, and he said, you know, I had something about a, trying to take a selfie with a lion, and he said it, it didn't go very well. So, Skip, do you have that, that picture? fun with Photoshop. Okay. Uh, but seriously, though, Matt's coming back next week. We're excited to hear all the great stories that he's going to have uh, to share uh, with us for that. So we're continuing our uh, current sermon series called The Dreamer, where we're looking at the life of Joseph. And um, if you have missed any parts of the series, I'd really encourage you to either go back and listen to those uh, messages online uh, or also just pick up your Bible and start reading Genesis chapter 37 and get caught up. And the reason I say that is one of my favorite things about just kind of going through this uh, story is it has a great ending. And we're not going to talk about the ending today. The ending's coming next week and the week after next. But to really set up how good of an ending it is, you need to have an appreciation of everything that Joseph went through to get there. So I'd really encourage you to be caught up by the time next week when you get there so you have an appreciation of how awesome of an ending this story has. Uh, but just to give you a quick recap, kind of where we are uh, in the chronology of the story. Uh, so Jacob has 12 sons. One of them, his name is Joseph, and Jacob loves Joseph uh, more than his other uh, sons. So Jacob gives Joseph this uh, robe that's really fancy, and it makes his brothers very angry. They get jealous, and so the opportunity presents itself to get rid of Joseph, and so they sell Joseph uh, into slavery in Egypt. So Joseph goes down to Egypt. Uh, he's a servant at an official's house down there. Uh, things are going really well. He's given a lot of responsibility. He's falsely accused of trying to seduce the, the, uh, the, the official's wife, so he gets thrown in the jail. While he's in jail, um, the uh, pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and um, chief baker are in jail too, and they have these dreams. Joseph interprets these dreams. Lo and behold, he gets the interpretations right. And then so Pharaoh has these crazy dreams about this... Um, about these seven skinny cows getting eaten, or seven fat cows getting eaten by seven skinny cows, and nobody can figure out what this dream means, and so they ask Joseph, hey, Joseph, what does this dream mean? And Joseph says, hey, guys, here's what this means. You are going to have seven years of plenty, and things are going to be great, and then you're going to have seven years of famine, and it's going to be awful. And so Pharaoh hears that and says, wow, this guy's really smart. I'm going to make you in charge of uh, Egypt's grain supply. So he goes from prison to being the second most powerful man in the most powerful country uh, in the region, okay? And so that gets us caught up to where we are uh, in the story um, this morning. And so these chapters in Genesis are definitely Joseph's story. Joseph is the star of this story. But this morning, you know how like in the Academy Awards, they give the award out for the best supporting actor? Like this morning, we're going to be talking about the guy who I think would get the award for the best supporting actor in Joseph's story, and that is his brother, Judah. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Judah and this awesome transformation that happens in his life, and we're going to do it by starting with looking at his past in relation to where we are chronologically in the story, and then we're going to talk about his present, and then we're going to talk about his future, and you're going to see this awesome transformation of God taking something uh, of God taking lemons and making lemonade out of the story of Judah. And then we're going to finish by talking about what the message is um, for Judah in our lives today. But, so before we get started, uh, let's pray. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, this awesome story, God, and it's many, many lessons that it has uh, for us, God. And I just pray this morning as we dig into your word, God, that uh, you just speak to us individually and help us get um, what you want us to get uh, out of this story. I saw these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so Judah. Let's start with his past. So who remembers the last time that we saw Judah in this story? You got to go back to the very beginning, very first message. See, I told you earlier that um, Joseph had made his brothers angry, and his brothers want to try to get rid of him. And so the plan is they want to kill him. But Judah has another idea. It says in uh, chapter 37, verse 26, it says, Judah said to his brothers, what will, we get, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so the first time you read that, you think, oh, Joe, you know, Judah's a, a good guy. He, he's trying to, to save his brother. He's not. It's actually worse than that. He says, hey, guys, if we just kill him, we don't get anything out of that. Let's sell him. Let's make some money off of this. So that's what they do. They sell him. They agree with Judah's idea, and they sell him. They sell his brother into slavery. Now, just that in and of itself, how many of you would, would say that qualifies Judah as being a quote-unquote bad guy? Just that in and of itself right there, right? That's pretty bad. Like, if your brother sold you into slavery in Egypt, like, you would look at him and be like, that's, he's not a good brother, right? To say, say it nicely. But it gets worse. So then we go on to Genesis uh, 38, and we skipped this part uh, earlier, but I want to tell you about what happens in chapter uh, 38. And so after uh, Joseph goes down to Egypt, uh, Judah leaves his godly family, uh, and he goes down to uh, Canaan and marries a Canaanite woman, which was a big no-no. And they have three sons, and these three sons are so bad that God kills the first two of them. And the oldest son, when God kills the oldest son, the oldest son leaves a childless widow named Tamar. And back in that culture, if you were a childless widow, that was a big problem because you didn't have a future. You didn't have a husband to take care of you. You didn't have any children to take care of you. You lost your share in the inheritance. It was a bad situation to be in. And so the culture at that time was if, um, if, if somebody dies, and if, a, if a, the husband dies, if that husband has a younger brother that's not married, then the younger brother is supposed to marry the widow, and so they can continue on uh, having her share in the inheritance and all of those things. I know we look at that today and we're like, that's really not cool, but that's thousands and thousands of years ago. That was the culture at the time. So that's what was supposed to happen, but that's not what happened. Judah doesn't uh, give his daughter to his, the one son living. He sends Tamar back to her family, and Tamar is desperate. She sees the situation she's in, and so what she does is she comes up with this plan. She dresses up as a prostitute, and she tries to chick, trick Judah. And so Judah sees her and hires her, for lack of a better way to say that. He hires her. He doesn't have the money to pay her, so what he does is says, hey, I'll give you a goat later, and just for now, because I don't have any money, here, take my seal, which would be like your driver's license today, and my staff, and I'll pay you. And so that happens. A little bit later, he sends one of his servants to go pay her, and she's nowhere to be found. Well, Tamar becomes pregnant out of this act. 
And Judah hears that his childless, widowed daughter-in-law is pregnant in an act of prostitution, and it makes him really angry. And he says, let's burn her. And so they drag Tamar back before Judah, and Tamar says, hey, uh, here's this seal and this staff. Do you recognize these? Because the person that belongs this to, uh, that's the father of these children. And of course, Judah's like, uh-oh, realizes what had happened, and uh, that's a big deal too. Okay, so not only does, is he bad enough that he sells his own brother to slavery, he impregnates his uh, daughtered, uh, childless, widowed daughter-in-law, and he refuses to take care of her. So those things, again, we're setting this up. Judah's a, not a good person, right? And there's one more act in here that's probably in God's eyes is even more offensive than all of those other things. There's one other part of the story that if we look at um, in Genesis uh, 38, uh, verse 21, when he sends his servants to go pay her, uh, they, um, he asked, this is verse 21, he asked the men who live there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road in Enam? Uh, and they say there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they say. So the, the even worse act is in here, and you've got to kind of read it closely to pick up on this. Who did he think she was? He didn't think this was just a prostitute. This wasn't just a commercial transaction, okay? He thought that she was a shrine prostitute. And what a shrine prostitute was is back in, when you had these polytheistic religions, um, a lot of times they had a temple dedicated to the god or goddess of sex or fertility or whatever you want to uh, lump that into. And these temples employed prostitutes. And the way you worshipped this god or goddess is you had sex with the temple prostitute. That was how you worshipped these deities. So not only did he hire a prostitute, but he thought that he was engaging in an act of idol worship. He thought that he was engaging, engaging in an act of worshipping this god or goddess of sex or whoever was the, the god or goddess of this temple that he was at. So that's the backstory of Judah. Does this sound like a guy that you would want to have over for dinner? No. Judah's not a good guy. So that catches us up in uh, chapter 42 in Joseph's story. Okay, so we ended last week. Ryan talked about how, you know, there were seven great years of food supply, and then there was the seven years of famine. Uh, but because Joseph had interpreted this dream, Egypt had stocked up on its grain. And so in Egypt, they had plenty of food, but everywhere else was really struggling. There was not any food. And so, uh, Jacob and Joseph's other brothers were back where they were, and they didn't have any food. So they get this idea. They hear that there's food in Egypt. And this picks up in uh, chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid of the harm that might come to him. And see, Jacob had uh, four wives, and one of them was Rachel. Rachel was the one that he loved the most. And Rachel had two sons, um, Joseph and Benjamin. And so this is why Jacob loved Joseph and Benjamin more than the other brothers. But again, put yourselves in the brother's shoes here. Joseph's gone. He's been out of sight for a long time. And your dad comes to you and says, hey, I need you to go on this dangerous mission down to Egypt to buy us some food. And they say, okay. 
And they said, well, what, what about him? Why aren't you sending Benjamin? And he says, oh, I'm afraid something bad's going to happen to him, but you all go. They're like, Dad, what about us, you know? So it's clear that Jacob is still playing favoritism with the sons. Joseph, who's gone, but now Benjamin. Benjamin is now his favorite son. And so the other ten brothers go down to Egypt. And they get there, and lo and behold, who do they run into? Joseph, who's now in charge of the grain supply, okay? But this had been years, 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 years since they saw him. They did not recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized the brothers. And so they come before Joseph, asking to buy grain so they can take back home. And Joseph says, you are spies. You are spies. You came down here to spy on us. And they say, no, 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 we're not, we're not spies. Joseph says, yes, yes, you are, you are spies. And so the brothers say, no, 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 here's our story. See, back home, we've got, our, our dad is still alive. Uh, we have another brother up there um, who didn't come down here. And Joseph says, okay, I'll give you a chance to prove your story. What I'm going to do is I want to put one of you in jail. The rest of you are going to go back home. You're going to get the brother who's still with the father, and you're going to bring him down, to, down back to Egypt. And that's going to prove to me that the story that you're telling me is true, and they're not spies. And so they take the brother Simeon, they lock him up, and the brothers leave. They buy the grain. They take it back uh, to their father. But something else happens too. See, Joseph ordered uh, the servants when they were filling up the grain sacks to take him back, he ordered them to take the money that the brothers had used to buy the grain, and he ordered them to put it back in the bags. So the brothers didn't know this. The brothers are on the way home. They go to look in the bags and have the grain, and they see the money in there, and they freak out because they're like, oh, my gosh, he thinks we're spies, and now we have the grain, and he doesn't have our money. He's going to think we stole it. And so they go back and tell Jacob the story about what happens. But they say, Dad, I know, but Simeon's in jail. we got to take Benjamin down there. That's how we're going to get him out of here. And Jacob says, no way. Listen to what Jacob says in verse 38. He says, my son, Benjamin, will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. Again, if you're the brothers, you're like, hi, you know, I'm your son, right? And so time goes by. Jacob doesn't let him go down there. Simeon's sitting in jail this whole time. And the grain that they brought out, brought back continues to run out. And again, they run out of grain. So they're facing a life or death dilemma. Go back with, Bren, with Benjamin or starve. And so finally Judah steps up in verse 8. It says, Judah said to Israel, his father, Israel and Jacob are the same person. They're, they're two different names. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have been gone and returned twice. Now, I can only imagine the other brothers when they heard this, when Judah says, we'll take care of him, I bet they were like, mm-hmm, yeah, Judah, you'll take care of him. Remember what happened last time you had the chance to take care of one of your brothers, what you did, right? But they were desperate. They didn't have a choice. So they take Benjamin. They go back down to Egypt. And so they go back before Joseph. They take double the money to pay him back for, for what they didn't pay the first time. And they go before Joseph, and Joseph sees him and sees Benjamin there. And, and Joseph is overwhelmed with emotion because he loves Benjamin. Benjamin is, he was his brother. And so what he does is he, he tells him, let's have a feast. 
And so he has this huge feast for his brothers. And the brothers think that this is a trap. They think that this guy's going to make us his, his slave because, hey, you know, he thinks we stole the grain. He thinks this is a big trap. But it wasn't a trap. He had this feast prepared for them. And there's an interesting part in the story where they walk in to have the feast, and it says that he had him seated by age of birth, by the birth order, right? And so you can imagine the brothers walk into this feast, and they're like, there's, how did he know, you know? How did he know this is the birth order? And then it also says that Benjamin got five times the share of food in this feast. And so everything is going great. They have this feast. Next morning, they get up. They load their bags with grain, and they head home. They start to head home. But Joseph had another trick up his sleeve. Joseph ordered his servant to take his silver cup that had a lot of value to him, and he ordered his servant to put the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And so the brothers depart, and he tells the servants, hey, go, go get him. They have my cup. And so the, his servants stop the brothers, and he says, you, you stole the master's cup. And they said, what? no, we didn't. We didn't steal the cup. This is what they say in verse 10. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. And so the servants search each bag. They start with the oldest, and they go bag by bag by bag by bag by bag. They get to Benjamin. They open it up. Dun, dun, dun. The cup is in Benjamin's bag. And the brothers are like, oh, no, this is all messed up again. So they go back before Joseph. And this is what they say. This is what Judah replies, verse 16. What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who's found to have the cup. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. And see, in that moment, it hit Judah. And at that point, Judah's not talking about the cup anymore. The weight of his past, the weight of all those things that he's done, the guilt that he's been carrying with him comes to bear. And he thinks the roosters have come home to roost, or the chickens have come home to roost. What's that saying? I don't know. You know what I'm saying. That's what he's thinking. Listen to what Joseph says in verse 17. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you can go home to your father in peace. And so let's take a time out and kind of think about the circumstances here. So if you remember back how the story started, Jacob had a favorite son. The brothers hated that. The brothers thought of a way to get rid of him. Okay. Same situation now. Benjamin's the favorite son. Here is a perfect opportunity to get rid of Benjamin. They could have said, yeah, you know what, Joseph, that was, pretty, that was pretty messed up of him. He stole your cup. Yeah, he can be your slave. We'll go back and tell Dad. We'll go back to Dad and say, Dad, we were going to try to protect him, but you know what he did? That idiot, he stole the master's cup. He's in jail. What, what, do you, what did you want me to do? I, I, we tried to protect him, but he did something stupid. We couldn't protect that. It's a perfect opportunity to get rid of Benjamin as well. And so what does Judah say to Joseph? He says, you can keep him. No. That's what you would expect Judah to say. That's what Judah would have said. That was what the old Judah would have said. This is Judah's response, starting verse 30. 
So now, if the boy is not with us, when we go back to your servant, my father, and my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head from our father down into the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father with the boys when the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that will come with my father. You talk about the contrast, the total change of heart. He went from my brother's life for a quick buck to my life for my brother's life. I'm going to become a slave so that my brother can be free. So Judah's story is a story of repentance, and it's a story of change. And I've been talking for about 21 minutes now to set up this one point that comes out of this message. And it's a big point, and it is, for some people in here, it's the most important point that you've heard in a long time. This is the message. This is the point. The choices that you have made in the past do not have to define your present. And I know what you're thinking. Keith, you don't know what I've done. And you're right. I don't know what you've done, and I don't care. And you know who else doesn't care? God doesn't care. Because God wants one thing from you, and that is a relationship. God does not care about your past. He cares about the present. He cares about your relationship from here moving forward. It's not a matter of what's happened in your past. God can restore that relationship immediately if you ask him to. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences. The example that I like to give when I talk about this is when my kids uh, climb on the furniture, I tell them don't climb, say don't climb on the furniture. And when they are disobedient and climb on the furniture, which they always do, there's a consequence of that. It's called gravity, okay? They fall and they get hurt because their disobedience has a natural consequence. Your past may have natural consequences. That's just how things work. But, it, but your choices you made in the past do not have to, to define your present. See, Judah had a past and in that moment, He had to choose between being defined by who he was or who he knew he should be. And he looked at his present circumstances and he said that I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of using people in my life to get to what's best for me. I'm tired of carrying this guilt. I'm tired of carrying the shame. I'm tired of being tired. And he said, I'm going to change. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to change. I'm going to go from being the type of person that sells my own brother into slavery to being the type of person that offers my own life as a sacrifice for my brother's freedom. It's a huge change. He changed, and you can change too. And we should change, because here's the second part of that. The choices that you have made in the past do not have to define your present, but the choices you make in the present will define your future. And practically speaking, you probably didn't pick up on this because I skipped a lot of the story, but practically speaking, This was a test by Joseph. Joseph really wasn't going to enslave Benjamin. He loved Benjamin. He loved his father too much. He wasn't going to do that. But this is a test. Before Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he wanted to make sure, had they changed? Or is this going to be the same old, same old? Because if it's the same old, same old, they're going back, and I don't want to have anything to do with them. But if they've changed, then this is a chance for me to restore that relationship. And again, I don't want to ruin the ending. We'll talk about it later. But it ends up being a very good choice for the brothers. But there's something way bigger uh, going on here too. 
It's amazing to think about. It gives me chills just to think about this. If we fast forward to chapter uh, 49, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he prophesies about his sons, and this is what he says about Judah. This is chapter uh, 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and he lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Until he to whom it belongs shall come. Who is that? Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. And I started out this message by saying there's no doubt that this is Joseph's story. Joseph is the star of this story. But if you look at how, in God's story, how this story plays out, we talk about the genealogy of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. God didn't choose Joseph to carry the line of Jesus. The star of the story. If I'm writing the story, Joseph's going to be in the lineage, right? That's who we'd expect. The star, the good guy, would be in the line of Jesus. That's how we would expect the story to go. But Jesus' line had a guy that impregnated his widowed daughter-in-law, sold his brother into slavery, uh, committed an act of idolatry. And the thing is, is it's not just the guy that gets to carry the line, but... It goes on, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. The child that was the, one of the child, the Perez, the son that was made in this act of idolatry, that's him. Jesus' line goes through him. And even better, Judah isn't just in the line of Jesus. God didn't just say, Judah, I'm going to give you a branch in Jesus' family tree. I'm going to name the whole tree after you. Jesus' line is called the line of Judah. The tribe of Judah ended up being the most powerful in all the 12 tribes of Israel. King David came from that line. The kings of Israel came from that line. In the book of Revelation, it refers to Jesus at one point as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Someday, thousands of years after this happened, God says to Judah, thousands of years from now, People are going to refer to the Messiah, to the Savior of the world, as the Lion of Judah. Your name is going to be in his name, Judah. See, Joseph's the good guy in the story. Joseph is the star. And if anybody deserves to be in the line of Jesus, it's Joseph, not Judah. But here's why I think that God picked Judah to carry the line of Jesus. Because I know if I read this story and I look at Joseph, Joseph was a good guy. Joseph trusted God when things were great. Joseph trusted, things when, trusted God when things were terrible. Joseph did everything right in the story. When I read the story of Joseph, I'm not Joseph. Joseph is not who I relate to. And I think that God picked Judah out of the story to carry the line of Jesus because when I read this, it gives me hope. I can look at Judah's story and say, if God can do something, take somebody who's done all those things and make something good come out of that, that gives me hope to think God can do amazing things through me, too. So here's the point. If you allow God to work in your life, 
how would God write the future of your story? How would he amaze you with what he has in store for you? How would God change your story if you will let him? What is the future of your story that will glorify God? You are not defined by your past, but the decisions that you make right now about whether to follow God or to keep running away from God will impact the rest of your story. And these decisions can be big things, they can be little things too. But everybody in here, me included, we all have ways that we could change to become more of who God wants us to be. And the changes that we make in the present, we're not defined by the past, but the changes we make in the present, they can and will define our future. Judah had a past, and God gave him a future, and God wants to give you the same thing if you let him. That's the story of Judah, and that can be our story too. Let's pray. God, I just I thank you, Lord, um, for Judah's story, uh, for the story of somebody who was incredibly flawed, but in the moment made the right decision to follow you, God, and you blessed him uh, forever uh, out of that, God. I just thank you for the hope that it gives me uh, to think about the change that you can bring in my heart and the future that you can write for me, God, if I put my faith and trust uh, in you, Lord. Uh, God, we love you so much. We're thankful for your son that comes out of the tribe of Judah. And we're just grateful for this message, Lord. I pray that you would just let us reflect on what this means for each of us uh, over the coming week. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.